Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to The Messy Truth. Today, I'm chatting to the brilliant Mackay Carter. Mackay's stylized photographs have graced magazines, screens and billboards, capturing icons past and present, with his unique blend of 90s maximalism and 70s hues. What I love about his photographs is how they emanate a very powerful hybrid of joy and resilience. And as an image maker, Mackay is really clear about his intentions. He is dedicated to uplifting and investing in black visibility narrating how stories are told and how black folk are seen. I chat to him about collaboration, identity and popular culture. And I wanted to add that we recorded this episode at the end of 2019 and listening back, it almost feels like a bit of a time capsule from a very different world. Many of the issues that we discussed have now reached a tipping point and I'm really hoping we're moving towards a more equitable world for everybody. So my dad was in the Vietnam War, and when he traveled, he took photos on his little Kodak camera, and he kept a lot of the film that his friends even took as well. And he used to make scrapbooks of his life, which I thought was so interesting. And it's kind of similar to how, you know, we almost use Instagram now, vlogging in our, our information are our, our these moments. But it was so interesting because there were such uh, snapshots, and each person, you know, within these photos had their own individuality, which I thought was prominent during the Black Power movement, especially. And it influenced the way that I kind of saw how, you know, not only, you know, a, a plethora of different skin colors, but there's also within that different individualities. And it's not just segregated to one race as a stereotype. You know, the 70s, I think was a big in, in influence on, on, on a lot of people just the way the politics were kind of going on there. I mean, it's sort of similar to what's going on now within the industry of uh, having, you know, a clear conversation of diversity and inclusion within fashion campaigns and editorials and and things of that nature. Yeah, you said this is all kind of culminating in a personal project that you're calling 9548, right? Yeah, so in that book, I'm basically taking the photos that my dad took during that era um, and, and something between that and kind of having my response to them and not only my response, but a feeling of kind of what today would look like for, for those types of, of, of images through my own lens and through my own personal viewpoint. That's the thing that I think gravitated, 
me towards this a lot is because with these snapshots, seeing these images only in this form and in a book in a physical context, I think will really bring the viewer, especially of my generation, kind of back to somewhere where things feel tangible and it's not, it's, you know, it's something that's to be shared, but it's something that's kind of in, in, in a different form and in a different medium. And can you explain the significance of the numbers and the project's title? Yeah, so my dad was born in 1948 and I was born in 1995. So I, I thought it was interesting to make that the title because of his his lifetime and, and, and kind of my lifetime. They're almost parallel, but in different decades, which is kind of interesting because when he was in his 20s during the time for, you know, the Black Power Movement and, and I'm in my 20s right now, starting my career within this and kind of having the voice that I have now. Yeah, it's really powerful. I can't wait to see more of the work. It's such a great idea. And I love the idea that it's like a personal sort of family connection. And it is so interesting that you kind of have this synergy in terms of the things that are going on in the eras that you're kind of growing up in. I, I feel like as my family has such like a lineage that I can kind of see since I'm like the very like baby of the family. I, you know, my grandparents and my great grandparents, you know, I have history and kind of stories of, of them, but it's through photos, which I think is also interesting. I never met my grandparents on my dad's side in, in real life, really. So I got to hear all these stories and see my family visualized through photographs and it helped navigate to where I feel and, and how I kind of identify with myself. Is that kind of what brought you to photography, this personal connection and like through family photographs? Yeah, that it was, it's, it's, I feel like it was a mix. I feel like I've always been interested in creating visuals. Even when I was a kid, I used to love playing with the DV camera, like the old 2004 cameras and make little films on that. And then when I got older, even making films on my DSLR. So it was a lot of influences for why I really got into photography, but seeing those photos of my dad and kind of relating that to my work later, when I kind of really started getting into it, when I went to college, was like a full circle moment when I kind of realized, oh, wow, you know, these same things I'm interested in that my dad has shot already. Uh, you know, the, 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 the juxtaposition of those two things, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about other influences that you have, because you've mentioned before in other interviews that Carrie Mae Weems is a big influence on you. Yeah, she, when I got introduced to her work, I was very taken back because the way she portrayed blackness especially with the kitchen table series and how relatable it was you know for this table this stagnant object to kind of have such resonance within uh the black community i thought that was really brilliant and just her work of just how she wants black people to be seen in in, in a different light um in in a refreshing light and with her latest work as well kind of diving into fashion she did a w cover with mary j blige which i remember and it was just so interesting because she had Mary J kind of look at herself in the mirror. I remember this photo and I just really connected with that of how, you know, how black people see ourselves. And, and that's how I kind of inspired me with my own work as well. Yeah, you kind of have similar ethos to her. And you've mentioned as well that Jamil Shabazz is also a big influence on you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like street style photography is so important for that, for, you know, for documentation, him. Uh, this other photojournalist, John H. White, I, I feel like they just really captured, in, in, in the same you know veins as Carrie Mae Weems, a truthfulness and a gaze that didn't feel demeaning towards. And that's really 
the main core of, what, of, of those things. And especially even another thing that inspires me is like even the early 2000s and late 90s. For me growing up with that and being kind of young, but also seeing that as an explosion of, you know, kind of where we're at today, especially with hip hop being a dominating force. I feel like that influenced my approach to photography as well. Hype Williams with Belly, Missy Elliott for sure, Timbaland, Brandy, Aaliyah, Usher. I feel like a lot of those videos um, especially resonated with, you know, how I kind of want to put certain things into my work as well. And you can kind of see without it now, especially since I'm, uh, since my work now that's kind of public isn't kind of resonated towards the 70s exactly as it was, but it's kind of morphing into its own thing that I think is showing all these influences together. Even influences from Malik Sidibe too. I love a lot of West African photographers as well, kind of going back and, and, and seeing the history there as well. Yeah, there's an amazing rich amount of influences that kind of, as well as all your personal influences from your upbringing and, you know, the sort of lineage of photography that you mentioned, you've got a lot going on in the images. And I think that's what makes them so unique and what makes them sort of really stand out at the moment. And another thing that I was always kind of really interested in with your work is that it's imbued with such emotion and intimacy. And I wondered how you create space for that when you're working with people, because I know some of the subjects you're shooting, you may not get much time with them. So it's kind of a lot of pressure to kind of find that moment. So how do you kind of go about doing that? Yeah, I try to just have a mentality, especially when shooting, just to make the subject feel comfortable, especially if it's a short amount of time. I'm very soft-spoken too, so I think my energy is kind of very relaxed and not so forceful upon people. So I think it gives a breath of fresh air to just create and kind of be collaborative and opening up and, and, and you know, being excited about the project and or, 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 or the shoot in, in front of you. But I think it's just a balance too also and just finding that relatability. For example, uh, when I shot Taraji for Playboy, I think the one thing that kind of bonded us was like the music that I was playing and that opened up to her to see like some similarities and from there kind of creating this bond where it's a back and forth and, you know, really being excited and kind of like showing the subject, the photos and it, it more of like a conversation versus like me shooting people like they're objects. I also wanted to talk to you about your lighting because it feels from when we've spoken before, I, you seem very technically minded, but in a very laid back way, which sounds like mm. a bit of a contradiction, but I feel like it really <laughs> does sum up your, your approach. And I wondered how your, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were kind of informed by that LA light, but I wondered how your sort of approach to lighting has evolved. I think I still have those qualities within my work, but then I'm also thinking about the space and how it, it feels almost. Uh, for example, the latest shoot that I kind of uh, released was for Wall Street Journal. And although that was a studio shot, I still wanted to emulate this light and have these shadows uh, on the skin to really illuminate each of the skin tones at the right balance. I think that's something that I'm very particular about is just making sure skin tones are intact, um, even similar to the Burberry shoot, because I think there's so much range for that. And I think adequating that is like really important, but also setting a mood which can make it tangible. So in post-production, I can kind of tweak the colors into you know the stylized way that I can, can see it. Because when I shoot, especially when I shoot digital, sometimes it can kind of be weird, but when I shoot film on top of that, the film shots is kind of what I gravitate towards because the color for that is more flat and more resonated to like a real 
I feel it feels more uh, real to me and more intimate. And mm-hmm. I think that's also another reason for how sometimes it can feel this intimacy with the subject because no one's going to see the photos, you know what I mean? So it's a trust there that has to be established. And I feel like I am relaxed with it too at the point where I'm not trying to do a lot or overcompensate things. I just like to have it in a certain way where things can be seen. My work used to be a little bit moodier, but I think I've gravitated less towards that and kind of more of a cleaner approach, but still having, you know, insightful and uh, intentional decisions of how the light's going to hit subjects and where the backlight is going to go for the background and stuff like that. And I guess it's changed since I've been doing commercial work, which I've noticed, because a lot of the commercial work has to be at a a standard quality. So I think I'm kind of bringing those approaches now into my fashion and personal work, which is kind of blending into this whole new style from where I started with my work in like 2016 and 2017, when I first started kind of getting into my own uh, style, my subject matter and and my uh, approaches to that. But I think my style continuously changes and I think it's still gonna change too. Yeah, for sure. That's all part of the kind of fun of it, right? It's all part Mm -hmm. of the journey kind of as you kind of develop and shape and how the impact of the world kind of affects your work and things like that. I wanted to talk about some of your shoots because you've had a really incredible year this year and you began by shooting the Central Park Five as part of Netflix's promo for When They See Us. And I imagine that was quite a charged situation, kind of making those photographs. And I wondered how you navigated that shoot. Yeah, I feel like that day was just charged in energy because I feel like seeing all of them together and in unity, especially with the actors, was something really special. And keeping that same energy, I think everyone was excited to be there, although it was really charged. I think once that the Central Park Five had to talk about their experience, but I feel like that also reflected within the photos of their honesty and, and you know, them being vulnerable and kind of showing themselves of where they are today and, and how unified they still are throughout everything. Um, you know, I, I, I told them that, I, you know, I really respect them for what they went through because it's not easy. And, and you know, it was such a time where, um, and still now, you know, racial profiling, especially in the criminal justice system, you know, I can relate to that. So I wanted to keep the vibe on set very uplifting and very positive about the future and kind of like where everything is going, especially with Ava being a part of that, you know, just kind of bringing, you know, a, a, a light of what I said earlier, you know, how, how Black people see ourselves. And I think that was, you know, achieved throughout that for sure. Do you ever feel nervous walking onto set? I get nervous all the time, honestly. So it's not like, it's not like something that I think turns off. I think, you know, I just have to go. I I usually like to go really early to set, so I'm not walking into people looking at me. It sounds really weird, but I, I like I like to have time to just really kind of like think about what I'm doing and just try to connect. Even when I shot Pharrell, which I was honestly really nervous about because I don't. I didn't know how he would kind of be. I mean, you, you never know with, with, with any subject that you have, but it's always a relief when you get to meet them and you get to shake their hand and, you know, kind of have a conversation and that kind of lessens the nerves a bit. I think the person I was most nervous is, was Missy Elliott because <laughs> I wanted to respect her. I didn't want to, like, fan out because I'm honestly such, like, she's such an inspiration to my work and to, like, how I approach things. I was really nervous to kind of walk up to her before we started shooting, but it was it was all good once I actually met them and it's like a conversation that happens and it loosens the nerves a bit and playing music on set. Also, I, you know, it really helps to kind of like show some more of my personality 
especially when I get to choose the music. How do you navigate those kinds of collaborations? Because with musicians, it can be really tough because obviously they've got such a specific style. You've got a strong style. Like, how do you kind of navigate how you want to picture them and how they want to be represented? I think it's a mix. I, I think initially there are, you know, there's mood boards and vision boards that are kind of sent over to get more of an idea, but it, it more so is a collaboration. I mean, even with the Pharrell and the Missy shoots, those are true collaborations on, you know, how they represent themselves, you know, through working with the stylist and everyone on the team, putting in their input, you know, because there's such big, you know, influences in the world. That collaboration aspect is, I think, is really important into, you know, elevating each other, if that makes sense, you know, doing things that haven't been seen before for both of, you know, the subject and the artist. And I think that works well when there's equal communication on each playing field. What was it like, the Missy shoot? Because, yeah, you said you're such a huge fan. She is such a legend. It was cool. Like, she uh, she came through with her dogs, and she was just happy <laughs> to be there. And just her energy was just very warm. And she was, like, just down to to play around and and, and, and really just have fun and shoot. She's really just... You know, she's everything that I expected. I still can't understand how she's just like this mastermind. She's so sweet, you know what I mean? So I just love being able to see that side of her and being able to collaborate and her trusting like my vision for what we thought about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially working with June Ambrose. That was probably really exciting as well because June is such an iconic costume designer for Missy Elliott and for a lot of hip hop music videos in the past. I think it was just such an honor to kind of like feel like I had input and in it. it was such a collaboration, which I thought was so beautiful, especially working with, you know, all people of color on the set too. That was also a beautiful moment as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about teams and, and do you have like a regular group of people that you like to work with or does it kind of move and flex depending on who you're shooting? I think it moves and flex. I definitely have a have a team as far as like my assistants and like the people I want to use for lighting and you know studio managers and stuff like that to kind of help you know with the process of planning shoots and, and getting things together but as far as hair and makeup i also like to have that too but it also depends because with that you know a, a availability is 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 a big thing especially when everyone's working you know in in this industry you can't always get the same people for every shoot but it's luckily that there's so, such a plethora now especially of artists makeup artists, hairstylists, set designers, that you can also play a role too. And, it's, and it's, it's really fun also to kind of collaborate in that way because you get different things kind of each time you collaborate with different types of people. Can you tell me a little bit more about your creative process and whether you're kind of a planner or and you kind of like to conceptualize before a job or are you more kind of a freestyler? I think I do both. I think it, re it really depends on what the project is and, and who I'm working with. If it's for a commercial job, I'll have to for sure pre-plan that, make a treatment, you know, get the client on the same page as me and them. So we're not having any confusion when we're going on set. But for the editorial work, I, I, I make a really small mood board and I try to just go off of that and feeling versus some, you know, really wild out researched idea. I mean, sometimes I do have those ideas, but most of the times I feel the best with my work when I'm not, agonizing over like the small little details because I, I do that in my post work which is really interesting I guess because I to me sometimes what I'll imagine is you know this is the photo that I'm taking but I know in my head what this is going to look like when I'm editing it 
and and that happens even when I'm shooting. Like there's some things sometimes, you know, a, a, a model will do a certain thing, and I'll like that, and I'll tell them to go in this direction versus the direction that I thought before. Mm-hmm. So it just varies on the project and how it's played out in my head, basically. Because sometimes it could just be one subject, but then there's other times where I have to plan for more than one subject. And then for group shots, it can kind of vary as well. I, I like to think on the fly, though. I, I, I think I kind of, I mean, to an extent, I, I like to, I always plan, but I think when I'm on set, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't get upset if something doesn't work out the way I imagine it. I just kind of troubleshoot and kind of find different ways to approach it in a way that I feel that's different and new for myself and for everyone else. You're really good, I've noticed, at delivering something extra. I think I said this to you before, but I'm always surprised. There's always a couple of frames. Like, I feel like I know your style really well after, you know, following it for the last few years. But there's always something that you share that I'm just like, whoa, where did that come from? And the Missy shoot, definitely, there were a few frames in there that I felt um, that about. But also the Pharrell shoot and it was that wide angle flower shot which I think mm-hmm. you mentioned was super popular online I know I saw a lot of people sharing it yeah and I wondered sort of how that shot came about and if you you know how you think about getting those if you're even conscious that you're kind of getting those really unique moments I mean I think in the moment I'm really just charged on the energy for that Pharrell um, there was no real mood board for that shoot, actually. So everything was kind of thought on the fly. Me and Will went to the editor-in-chief of, of GQ, collaborated on, like, different ideas, and we were just throwing things out. You know, I, not throwing things out, no, and, like, we were just kind of just thinking, you know, what can we do? And I remember talking to Pharrell, and he said one of his inspirations was Tilda Swinton, which is really interesting to me. So I tried to incorporate that into the shoot, knowing I wanted to shoot on a fisheye lens um, to have this uh, warped effect with the psych. Um, we decided to get a bunch of flowers and vases that can kind of act like a floor that almost feels like you can't tell, you know, what this, you know, what year this is shot in or or what camera this is kind of shot on. And I think that was the approach of of the whole shoot almost for that GQ. It was kind of just not, not freestyling, but really being creative and kind of pushing the limits of, of style most importantly, because style was a big part of that shoot. But, um, just perspective. I think that was a big thing as well. Is style important to you? Because I know a lot of photographers who shoot fashion aren't necessarily kind of into fashion. And I'm curious, is that something that you you kind of get excited about? I definitely get excited about clothes. I mean, it's different because in my personal life, I don't really care so much about fashion on myself. But when I'm shooting people because I've, you know, I've seen and I've been around so many different types of people and how I know fashion can represent them. I mean, even for myself of how I dress, um, it's very reflective of me. So I, I, I get excited when fashion can play with that in its own way. Like, I really love Theron McGlair. I'm probably pronouncing his, his, his name wrong. Alexander McQueen. A lot of those designers that really kind of pushed Valentino, he's still doing that. They're still doing that at that house. I, I think it really excites me when, uh, especially now in fashion, streetwear and um luxury is kind of is coexisting in this interesting space which you know it's and and it's almost urban in a way now just how fashion designers are kind of taking on the streetwear uh you know approach to everything especially with the collaborations that they have with different artists i i think it's important just because it shows where we are as as you know 
as the world, you know, in, in, in this time, maybe not the whole world, but in, you know, certain spots where fashion is really, you know, important to how people represent themselves and their cultures. I, I get excited about it um, and seeing how other people see themselves and how that inspires me to kind of approach them. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's definitely a, an important marker of our times for sure. Yeah. And that goes back to even the photos of my dad and how that style, you know, stood out to me. I, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, it's a record of that time. And one of my favorite shoots that you've done this year is the tribute you did for Alvin Alley for Out Magazine. Mm-hmm. That feels like almost like the perfect hybrid of your kind of commercial style mixed with your personal work because there was a rawness to that project which really came through for me. How did how did that shoot evolve? So that one, I mean, that one was pretty much similar, I guess, to the GQ shoot. I I mean, I love Alvin Ailey. I I grew up on them. Um, growing up, my parents take them to take me to their um, performances. And I remember they had this performance, Wait in the Water, which I was inspired by. And I kind of made that the premises for the movements and the shot where they have the umbrellas. That was a reference to that. Just Blackness, I, I, I think, you know, really exudes Black excellence in a way where it's, you know, otherworldly and, and such an inspiring opportunity to, you know, these dancers were really amazing. Troy Powell, who helped with the choreography and the movements with the dancers because he coaches them, I, I think it was very important, the collaboration and just you know, really trying to find these emotions and this tension and, and, and trying to tell the story and, and and show, you know, this excellence in a way that doesn't feel uh, trendy or, 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 or time stamps. I really wanted to create, like, pieces of art for these guys because I think that um, sometimes it can be underrepresented of how important it is to a culture. Yeah, for sure. You can really see that in the in the pictures. They are really timeless and just absolutely exquisite in their execution. And it made me think as well, It's it, I think it's pretty hard when you're shooting a series like that where you've got a lot of group shots and you've also got a, a lot of individual portraits to kind of keep that energy and that kind of quiet intimacy running strong throughout the whole series. And I think you really did that, that project. And I wondered if you feel like it's a lot more challenging when you're shooting groups to individuals or kind of how you navigate working across those different scenarios. It depends, honestly. For some reason, I'm very comfortable shooting groups because I think that there's so much that you can do as far as shapes and just like lines and how that can kind of viewpoint. And it relates to the family portraits as well of how, you know, those were groupings and how that kind of relates to that. But also... It's different, you know, with the guys, especially with, you know, I got to shoot them individually as well as in a group. And since they knew each other very well, I think that the attitude of of them being, you know, really intimate and having this vulnerability came out because they were comfortable in their own space. I mean, we shot that at their studios, too. So I, I think that was another important fact to that. I mean, just in general, for example, the Netflix shoot with the Central Park Five, it's that same a, a, a approach in that in that same vulnerability that, that I try to give and you know I always try to be myself and I don't you know overstep uh and, and act like you know it's it's my way or the highway or you know or the client's way I think it's a collaboration to make sure everyone's comfortable and I'll speak up for for, for them if, if things are not you know how, how they want in styling or makeup and stuff like that so it's more everyone's feeling good about themselves and they're not feeling uncomfortable because I know how that can look in a photo for sure because when I first started shooting I used to try a lot of things that I thought, you know, I, I had to do. 
And once I start like trusting my gut with more things and really kind of like being open and kind of opened up them and how, you know, when they start sitting for the portrait, it's a conversation that happens and not just, you know, me taking 10 frames and that's it. Yeah, you seem to genuinely thrive on collaboration. Yeah, I, I, I really love collaboration. I think it's important because like there's, I mean, there are people that can do everything one man show, but I really am inspired by other people's drive and other people's passion, like how I have my own passion. And I think combining all that energy together just creates, you know, these new moments that aren't replicated. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. And one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, we touched on a little bit last time we talked, but it's sort of navigating this pressure of sort of the contradictions when it comes to making editorial work and commercial work and and the pressure now that's on photographers to deliver really big budget, kind of high production value editorial work, but on tiny editorial budgets. And I feel like this is something that so many photographers struggle with. I know so many photographers talk to me about it. And when I lecture at colleges and stuff it's one of the things that always comes up from the students and and they're always mind blown when they find out kind of what realistic editorial budgets are and I wondered what your experience has been like of this like is it something that you feel you know comes with a lot of pressure yes and no I I think when I first started there's a lot of pressure and I guess when I first started the industry still really respected these editorials as you know its own entity I think once you know social media really became a thing and instagram was kind of the main tool that people used to advertise on the internet that's when it became a mix of these advertorials in disguise and you know i didn't notice it at first because when you're first starting shooting you don't notice these types of things but even with just you know deals that brands have with certain publications you know certain advertising a model will have to be in a full look for this cover and the question's like, well, if this, if 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 they're paying for, if this high fashion luxury uh, designer is paying for, you know, you you guys to use this outfit, there should be, I guess, more money for the editorial side. I, I think there's still conversations that need to be had about how, you know, that transparency is uh is there because I have to ask a lot of questions now just to get a scope of where things are living and how long they're gonna live there for and the rights to the photos because. You never know for these things now, you know, it could be the, the, you know, magnifying glass of how, you know, important it is to, to, you know, to, to, to have these conversations. Even with editorial in the way that I approached it with my side, you know, I made a lot of sacrifices because I didn't really know, you know, it, it would be like, there would be no money for shoots and I would have ideas and it would just kind of be hard. But then I, you know, I realized that a lot of the editorials and then a lot of the photographers, you know, the money that they make from the commercial jobs, they put back into the editorials because they know that they have more creativity there. And that's the same way for me, too. Like, I love shooting editorial and, and, and kind of having the opportunities because there's no there's no, there's no commercial in, in, in intent for them. Unless it's an advertorial, then it's kind of different. But I think it's less of a pressure, definitely, than, like, the, 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 the campaigns. But there still is pressure, though when you don't have the funds. So it's kind of just, you know, finding and and really conversating with these magazines and being like, look, if you guys don't have this, we have to think of another solution because, you know, I can't go out of of pocket. You know what I mean? I think for younger photographers, that's very important too. And having, you know, not being afraid of, uh, you know, having those conversations to kind of get what is is necessary and what they need. 
because I was scared too, honestly, to ask for things, especially if, you know, I would think if they came with me with a budget, that would be the final say. But I realized that, you know, if you can conversate and have like a real conversation, most of the times they'll understand and, and they'll compensate for what you need, depending on the publication though. Yeah, I think that's really important advice because I think there's even photographers who've been doing this for a really long time who still feel like they can't have those conversations. And, you know, it's not always fruitful, but it's definitely worth, you know, trying to have a dialogue around these things because while it's become kind of industry standard that people shoot commercial work and then put it back into their editorial work and and it, and it totally makes sense from a creative point of view. It doesn't necessarily make sense for like a sustainable point of view for the, the editorial business and the no. editorial kind of business model. So yeah, it's it's a funny one that I find it challenging and it'll be interesting to see where it goes because obviously a lot of magazines are closing or just going to online only. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that affects image making because editorial, as you said, is such an important space for many photographers and their kind of creative ideas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I in, in my head, I think the future will be with advertorials and that will be the new normal for, you know, how we meet. I mean, it's it's happening now all the time, but I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it's very interesting. But I, I think now even with brands, their collaborations, I, I know that we transferred us a lot of collaborations with artists, which I, which I really love. And I think that there, uh, there definitely is some places out there that can help, you know, fund creativity. And, and, and even from that, I used to shoot with my friends. I mean, that's what I said about collaboration, even shooting and, and not really having a publication to shoot for testing and, and really just kind of like going out there. And it, it, it honestly doesn't cost a lot of money sometimes when you be because I used to shoot a lot of things in my apartment, <laughs> like, like just to have people over and I would have racks of clothes, you know, my friend would go to the thrift store and we would just have fun and just be creative like that. And I think that same approach I put to my work today, I mean, even from my, you know, my work with when I worked for the, the local newspaper when I was like 15 and 16 really helped, you know, me in how I, I approach these situations and, you know, try to make the best out of nothing if you you know what i mean because yeah. i think even from that i used to be told that you know i need this 5d mark ii i need these certain cameras and once i realized and i think this is when i really started getting to post and i was blessed to have a computer but you know it was more of what is in front of the camera and how that is perceived versus the technicalities of how you get to that point because you could be very technical but that emotion can't be there so it's like finding that balance where it's not forced do you have a lot of unrealized projects that you've kind of got on the back burner and are just kind of waiting for the right moment in time? Yeah, I have a ton. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's like really like it's it's a lot. I really want to get into video more too. So it's just finding the time and the space. I mean, I haven't been doing honestly anything the last couple of weeks because I've been wanting to just recharge from the year and just figure out, you know, the next steps of where I, I, I want to go creatively. That's so important to take that time. It's good to hear you say that because I, I think people feel a lot of pressure to keep hustling all the time, 24-7. And it's so important to take that time to reflect and, and think about where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I learned I can't compare myself to other people because that that will like ruin, you know, your drive because you're, you know, you think you always have to work. You think you always have to post something to be relevant. But I realized that, you know, I, I feel like that when I stay true to, you know, myself and do projects that I really enjoy, I think those, uh, those really shine through. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about social media because you have had an amazing career so far, especially this year. I mean, you've been phenomenally busy and the projects that you've worked on, you've definitely um, made the best of them or they've been like legendary projects like Missy and Pharrell that we talked about before. But despite all of that, you've definitely kept like a really low profile. You're not somebody who I see like doing a lot of interviews all the time. And it feels like that's coming from a very purposeful place and I wondered how you kind of navigate the pressures of putting yourself out there I mean I guess I'm still dealing with it. I think <laughs> I, I mean I'm was I'm normally a shy person I'm very soft-spoken so I'd never I, I I use photography as my way to express myself basically I mean even with social media I think also because of my parents they didn't allow me to have social media until I was basically a junior in high school so I think my like viewpoint of how people share their lives is still kind of rooted with how my parents operated and i think that really shown to how i use social media because even when yeah this is just a, a lot of it i mean like i was always good at texting but once instagram came around and it really became like my work i got you know social anxiety almost from posting images and just posting things online because you, you you never know how people respond and there's just a whole bunch of like rabbit holes in that so i try to stay like a little clear of that but uh, you know instagram is pretty it's like addicting almost now especially for you know creative and how people source imagery and stuff like that so i, I just try to have my own sanity in my own world so i don't like fall in, into this and in, into that app because I, I think it, it can be lost i used to really enjoy tumblr though and i think that was another big influence of mine of how i got to see images for the first time that wasn't you know in in the classroom or images that I had to, you know, scour for. I think with Tumblr, it really gave me a first insight of other photographers and the, you know, the industry almost as a, as a whole where it was during that time. Because I used to read Elle magazine, all those magazines, and photography was such a a tangible thing. I think once it switched over to something where you're uploading images constantly, and once I feel like I, because I used to shoot a lot and I used to post a lot of my work just to post it, but I think once I took a step back, which is my thesis here. That's kind of when I kind of slowed down and I kind of reserved myself a little bit more of like having to always be online. Yeah, I think you're really reserved in terms of how much you post now as well, which is actually really exciting because as a viewer, where it obviously leaves you wanting more, but it means that when people come across the wider edit of some of your shoots, as I kind of said before, you get all these surprises because you haven't seen it all on Instagram. And I think even yeah. the way we're sort of processing images and digesting them on Instagram is so quick that you read an image so quickly, you don't really pay attention to all the detail and the narrative and what's going on. And so it's kind of really nice to kind of fall upon your work in different spaces and not feel like you've seen it all. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. I mean, even with my favorite photographers, I love finding new images of theirs that I've never seen before. And I think with my website, you know, once I update my website for the next year, I think that will be like the haven where everything will kind of be there. Because I, I, cause I, I kind of like having just snippets and then people can kind of really digest things. Because some people kind of come back to my work and I realize, you know, on, on Instagram sometimes, like my friends will tell me, you know, I, you know, I went back to that photo like two weeks later, you know, because I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think that, you know, not over sharing I think really helps people resonate with my work versus seeing it really fast and then I post something the next day 
and then it's this whole like momentum and then you get burnt out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that you say you kind of gravitated towards Tumblr because the great thing about Tumblr was that it was visual first. It was about the work. It wasn't about mm-hmm. the personality behind the work. And there was something quite liberating about that. I think there's a lot of pressure now on photographers to to be personalities or be brands or be personas above and beyond that the work that they're creating. And it, it just feels like a bit it's a bit much and it's a little bit of a distraction. It's so it's so interesting. Um, but I, I think that's how brands because I think, you know, people see photographers as influencers because they can see you know, the influence that they have publicly, you know, yeah, with Tumblr, you couldn't see, you know, how many followers someone had at all. And I think that really helped, I think, you know, especially Tumblr just thriving with creativity. It wasn't about, you know, how many followers and what you had to do to get so many followers is about the content that you uh, created, you know, which is interesting because I mean, guess I guess that's how you know, my viewpoint of, you know, now of how we share work in the past, you know, and I still do this too. I have, you know, you print your work out and you go to different agencies, different magazines, and you have to kind of keep on going every six months. Um, but now people can just get updated, you know, at you know, just the time. website and stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying before about the comparison factor as well, because I think that's one of the things that kind of social media and Instagram in particular for photographers really breeds that comparison factor. And it's nice just to kind of step away from that a little bit and not perpetuate that for other people, especially when you've been through it before. Yeah, I feel like something's going to give with social media and how it's approached, because I think people are seeing the cracks and stuff like that. But it's just so fascinating of how far things have changed with just the last four or five years um, and how imagery is still, you know, it's, it's being even more perpetuated into this thing that we digest. I mean, even with how social media uh, is triggering, I mean, with the, you know, the, the, the Tamir Rice and, and, all, and all the shootings that happened in, 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 in America during that time, I, I feel like triggered a lot in creatives and I feel like a lot of black creatives, um, especially to respond to that of how, you know, black people are viewed, especially black men. And I, and, you know, and I think that's, I mean, even with the Pharrell issue, the new masculinity, that ties into that whole thing of, you know, us being over, oversaturated with, with, with imagery and, and kind of not seeing where we are now as, as a whole. And, and I, I think photography is, is helping shape that. But I also think with social media, the triggers and responses of how people make work, I think, come from a lot of those places. Even for me, I remember the Black Lives Matter movement, I used to go around and take photos and documentary style of all that. And that inspired my work from there because it was such an important movement that I felt a part of, similar to my dad's movements as well. Yeah, it feels like representation is really at the heart of your practice on all levels. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's really excited me, and I, I kind of this is something that I never used to think was that important, but recently I've kind of changed my perspective on it. But it's one thing to be telling these important stories of representation and inclusivity in your personal work or in your editorial work, but actually where we can affect as creatives massive change is through commercial work because it mm-hmm. it may not be as creative, but it does reach more people than artwork often does or editorial often does. And I think watching you kind of use that language of commerciality to kind of talk about your specific agenda about platforming kind of black identity and black beauty has been really exciting like it's commercial work I really want to look at I'm not looking away 
and I think that's yeah I think that's a real sort of testament to your integrity and how you really bring yourself to every job that you get yeah definitely I mean even in some instances with the last uh there's this last commercial job that I did and as far as casting it was kind of it was kind of interesting because although it was a diverse cast there were some things that I noticed that weren't in line to showing true diversity and, and how, you know, other people can see it. Um, and from, you know, a consumer of some of these brands, I think that having that input really helps them as an ecosystem kind of understand how people want to be seen and not, you know, forcing something that's not even real. And I realize that even with a lot of the commercial work now, it's a lot more authentic and less of this um, fantasy world that people are creating to sell things. For sure, yeah. It's, it feels like it's genuinely starting to get exciting. And and actually, the future is where it could be the most sort of dynamic. It feels like the groundwork is being laid and things are getting more authentic, as you said, like in a genuine way, because we're getting more diverse voices in front of the camera, behind the camera. And that's, yeah, it feels like really exciting. I'm actually excited to see how the commercial world looks in 2020, because... I think there's going to be a massive separation between the brands who get it and the brands who start to fall apart because they're just so out of date and just sort of clueless. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's definitely going to be a shift. And the representation that people have behind the camera too, I think people are realizing that a lot as well. I'm curious what it feels like for you working as a young photographer now, because the industry is definitely in a state of flux, like things are changing, both for the positive and for the negative. And I'm just curious kind of what that experience has been like for you. It's been exciting, I think, honestly, I, I think things are moving kind of really fast now and the opportunities that are being given out are uh, very tremendous in you know this growth. Uh, of, of of where we're going and, and kind of having this new shift of how we see advertising and how we kind of see ourselves uh, as people in the world with, with photography. I think the biggest struggle, I think, is, you know, what we talked about earlier is finding this balance between social media and in and, and real life. I think it's just exciting that opportunities and people are actually having these conversations and listening and, and really trying to so to make a, a difference and not just say that they're making a difference. Yeah, for sure. It feels like an exciting time. And you've mentioned to me before that you're like a big advocate for real world conversations, which sounds like a crazy thing to say. But when everything is digital and as we've been saying, like Instagram is kind of overwhelming. It's really exciting to hear that, you know, that's something you're always pushing for, like these real world interactions and meeting people face to face and working with people face to face rather than, you know, operating through social media. Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, even with jobs, I remember an art producer said they wouldn't hire someone if they haven't met them in person because it's a personality and it's a vibe. For sure. You don't want like like you don't want an a-hole on set because <laughs> that can ruin the whole vibe of everything and just make things not fun. And, and, and I feel like the creativity is kind of sucked out of it for everyone else. Because I kind of know how that is on the other end, too, when I've assisted for a couple of people. You know, so like a lot of photographers work differently. And not that that's a bad thing, but um, definitely meeting a person so you know, you know, this is the right person that you want to create with. Yeah, photography is definitely a people business, like first and foremost. Definitely about the interaction between people, for sure. That's where the magic comes from, I think. 
The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is that you recently started teaching and kind of giving back to the community. And I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that and why it's so important to you. Yeah, so I taught a class at Red Hook Labs about lighting and a lot of them were, you know, teenagers in high school, seniors and then some uh, college freshmen and sophomores. And it was so interesting because I was, you know, I was there like not so long ago. So to be able to kind of come back and, and really uh, share my story and also inspire them to kind of just keep pushing and to show them things. I think that's the biggest thing too, is a lot of people are scared to share their secrets and quotation marks. But uh, you know, we said earlier, I, I think, you know, the the conversation and the, and the, the person that, and the, in the, in the people that you conversate with makes these photos. But I think lighting is something that, you know, should be taught, you know, it's a technical thing. And, you know, not only are there lots of jobs from that, but it also is good to know at a young age that too, because I was lucky that a lot of my mentors at Parsons were able to help me. If I showed them a lighting, you know, photo that I wanted to do, they would kind of sit with me and help me re recreate those. And I think it's important for the young generation, especially if we're if we're shifting in this um, this new climate where real representation matters not only in front of it, but behind it. I think there's going to be a need for a new wave that, you know, knows properly how to do things instead of thinking that they need to wing it or they need to spend thousands of dollars to understand things that they want to learn. And it was so fun just seeing the kids be ecstatic about taking photos and them seeing you know, the photos are looking really cool. And then I love seeing them kind of play and tweak with the lighting to make it their own, which I think is very important as well. Yeah, that's super cool. It sounds like an amazing experience. Yeah, it was awesome. And I can't wait to to do more um, of that as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really great to talk to you again. Yeah, no problem. This was lovely. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.